Well, enjoy that fellowship lunch very much. Hope everyone's had enough to eat, but not so much that you don't want to take a nap right now, or so much that you want to take a nap right now. So I would like to go through the the first psalm, Psalm 1. I think there's a connection there between what we went over this morning. You know, when we talked about Paul writing to and comforting the church at Colossae from his prison cell in Rome, and his fervent prayer was for them to be strengthened and for them to know the will of God for their lives and to walk in that and to have Christ be preeminent in everything in their lives. I kind of think perhaps he was praying Psalm 1 for them. Of course, I don't have that as a record of Scripture, so I'm taking liberty there. But you know, knowing that, Saul, that Paul was a devout Jew and that he was schooled in the, in, the, in the old law and would have read this psalm perhaps many times as a youth growing up or as a, as a young man, there's no doubt he had this on his heart or knew this and, and, and had it within his heart while he was in this prison cell. So I'd like to look at this because I think there's a lot of connection there between what he was praying for the Colossians for and this psalm. So Psalm 1, and uh, we just read saying through it, and I'll, I'll read it and then have some comments on this, on this psalm. So Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." I think this psalm describes for us two very distinct categories of thought or, or of action or behavior. You know, we talked this morning about sort of two schools of thought that came out of the 14th century, the Reformation and the Renaissance. And I think this psalm clearly articulates those lines of thinking. One puts God at the center of your life. The other puts you at the center of your life. We see here in, in verse 1 that blessed is the man. Just like when Christ is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, where he proclaims that blessed is he who is meek and who is hungry and thirsty after God. This man who is blessed does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I love the progression that this first chapter or this first verse of Psalm 1 gives us. You've got someone who's walking and then standing and then sitting. So you almost have this idea of someone who sort of casually walks by maybe on the street, and there's some nefarious acts going on, there's some evil or some you know, untoward thing going on on the street, and you have this child of God who walks by that, but doesn't walk in that council, you know, doesn't stop there, doesn't stand there and linger and investigate that. You know, it's been said that sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, or how does that go? So sin will take you further than you ever intended to go, but keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. So this progression that we read about in Psalm 1, chapter 1, is someone who doesn't walk by the counsel of the ungodly. They don't stand in the way of the sinners, meaning they sort of pause and stay there. And they certainly don't sit in the seat of the scornful. They don't lounge there. They don't stay there. They don't abode or abide in that, in that abode. They don't stay there with people who are scornful. So not only do we have this nice progression in verse 1 of a man who is walking and standing and sitting, you know, just the ideas there of the verbs, walk, stand, sit. But you also have this progression on the other side of that as well. You've got 
the counsel of the ungodly, and then you've got the way of the sinner, and then you have the seat of the scornful. So that's a natural progression as well, if you think about that. So, you know, there are certain, there are many things that are ungodly in our society. We see many ungodly things every day. We certainly should not take counsel in ungodly things, but often, you know, things that are not, that don't have Christ as the preeminent force or factor can be considered ungodly if God's not a part of it. So there's this idea of, you know, it's easy to sort of flirt with sin or flirt with things that are ungodly and that are not profitable for us as believers of Christ. But in Psalm 1, we learn that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And that could be anything related to our lives today. The counsel of the ungodly may be a TV show that we turn on. Now, we may like to watch a certain TV. You know, there's been shows that I've caught on Netflix, and I thought, that's very interesting. But when I really think about it after watching a few episodes, what really comes out is there's this idea of maybe revenge or self-justice or... You know, the, the main character wants to get what's his, and so the whole series is based on that. There have been TV shows lately that sort of glorify criminal activity. Uh, maybe someone is a criminal who, who takes those, those skills that he acquired on the dark side and kind of and has come over now and has helped the authorities, but he still sort of straddles this blurry line between good and bad. It's easy to watch those kind of shows even and, just, and, and take counsel in ungodly activities. We have to be very careful and guarded as believers that we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Even though we're not standing or sitting, we're not participating, the fact that we're still just walking by, we need to not even do that. So don't even stand on the same, don't even walk down the same street that there's ungodly counsel being held there. The next progression there talks about standing. So let's like, you know, you walk and then you stop and you say, hey, you know what, I'm going to check this out. You know, we were, we got here early, so we were walking down the streets and we were looking in some of the storefronts and and, um, you know, we, we walked by and we stopped. We stood there and we looked at certain things. Well, those things weren't ungodly things. You know, they were antiques or, you know, furniture or something like that. But we, you know, we, we walked and we made a, a conscious effort to stop and look at that. We need to be careful that we don't do that as Christians, that we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and then stand, stop there, and stand in the way of those sinners. You know, stand in that way and, and, and become used to or accustomed. You know, it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in sin. It just happens small, you know, a small little flame turns into you know, a large sin in our lives. So we need to be very careful there. The last part of that verse says that, we do not, that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Those who are bold and open and daring, proud and angry. You know, Christians should not be sitting with scornful people. But instead, look at verse 2. Our delight should be on the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know, this is a, a new year. It's hard to believe that February is nearly over already. So, if you, but if you think back through last year, or last month, or last week, or yesterday, what was your delight in? What was my delight in? There's so many things that we take delight in that could potentially be ungodly, or sinful, or scornful. You know, even in the, the like if Hebrews asks us, or admonishes us to put aside every weight and encumbrance that so easily besets us. Or every sin and encumbrance. So if you think about, you know, of course we want to put aside every sin that so easily entangles us and takes us away from God. But what about the weight? You know, think about a runner who is, you know, my kids have been involved in cross country and, you know, and I've coached some of the younger kids in our cross country league. And you've got this excitement when you get up on the line right before the race starts and everyone's hearts are pumping and everyone's nervous and they're the jitters and they're just kind of bouncing around and, of course, having a bunch of you know third to fifth graders bouncing around on the line before a race is not ideal. It's very difficult for the coach. But no, I've been there. 
So you have this sort of nervous energy, and you know they're waiting for that shot to go off or for that race keeper to tell them to go. The last thing they would ever think about doing was put it would be to put on a weight, like a weighted vest, as they're running this race. But so often as Christians, we do that to ourselves. You know, we we put on weights that keep us from running the race that God has set before us. And that's what verse two in Psalm one is telling us that our delight should be in the law of the Lord and not the things of this world that so easily beset us. And that our delight should be on His law and that we meditate on that day and night. Again, it doesn't mean that we, we sit... And this word meditate, too, is, is not the meditate that we think of today. You know, we live in a, a large city with, you know, a cross-culture of population, just like Gatson, I'm sure, where there's a lot of people who are involved in things like Pilates and yoga. And so it's very big in our city. So you go to the... You know, go to a certain part of downtown Chattanooga, you see all these you know, housewives and mothers wearing you know, their yoga outfits going to do yoga. You get this idea when you think about those kind of disciplines, if you want to call it that, you know, this Eastern mysticism, this philosophy, is that meditating is where you sit and you just empty your mind so that you then can have you know, your inner being filled up with your own potential. Right? That's the modern term of meditation when you hear it today. That is the exact opposite of what we're being called to in verse 2. We meditate on God's law. We meditate on the Word of God. It's that, it's that dichotomy between the Reformation and the Renaissance all over again. That when we meditate, we don't meditate in order to find our own inner strength and our own nirvana. We meditate to find God's truth as it can be applied to our lives in real practical ways. But the man who is blessed meditates day and night on God's Word. And everything that we do, we think about God's law and God's Word and God's dealings in our hearts and our lives every day and every night. So what's the result of that? So, well, we know that the blessed man doesn't walk or stand or sit among sinners, ungodly and scornful. But instead, if we dedicate ourselves and pray that God would give us the ability to take delight in his law and meditate day and night, verse 3 will be the result. And we'll be, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's look at a good example of this. Um, let's turn over to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter... Let's just look at chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. So we know that at this point Moses has died. We know that Joseph, or excuse me, uh, Joshua has been called by God to lead the children of Israel. So in the book of Joshua chapter 1, we see that now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord came, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying... Moses, my servant is dead. So Moses, who was the servant of God, is now dead. Now therefore arise, Joshua, and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. By the way, when we talk about the Hittites and the land that the Israelites were given, you know, we talked earlier in Colossians about the principalities and the powers and every dominion on earth that's actually under the, the authority of Christ. You know, these major cities, these major empires, um, the Hittites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, they were all destroyed and given to the children of Israel because ultimately who controlled those kingdoms and dominions and empires was God in his sovereign control over those. So he goes on in verse 5 to tell Joseph, to Joshua, There shall not be any man 
Uh, there shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. So, Joshua, so all of us today in this church, be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. But here's what we need to do as a people, as the same family that we've been adopted into by the blood of Christ, that Joshua was leading into the promised land, we need to be strong, verse 7, only be strong and courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt they ha- thou, have, thou shalt have good success. So as Joshua was leading the children of Israel, this is what was commanded to him, that he be strong, that he be bold, and he be courageous, and he meditate day and night on God's word, and he not depart from that to the right or to the left. It's the same thing that we're being told to do here, in verse three, that we, or verse two, that we should meditate on the God's word day and night, and we shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, recently we'd gone through. I don't know if you guys had to deal with this down here, but we had just a lot of like flu and you know, viruses going around in our church and our homes, people in our community. And you know, we we teach our children to share and to be thoughtful of others, and they shared. They shared a lot of stuff for those two weeks or so that we had you know little viruses. None of us had the flu, but we just all had puny fevers and just felt bad. And so one day, when the temperature, it was kind of a day like this, it was a little warmer, the sun was out, and I thought, you know, we all need some vitamin D. So Tara and I took all the kids, and we went hiking on this, um, this trail near where we live. And it's a beautiful trail it's called the Cumberland Trail. It actually stretches from Signal Mountain, Tennessee, all the way to Kentucky. So it's a long trail. We didn't do the whole trail that day. We did uh, just one section of it. But it was interesting that while we were there, we were sort of descending down into this, this little gorge, and there was a, a creek running along beside us, and the kids were having a great time throwing stones in it and just you know, seeing this, you know, this beautiful creation. And I noticed this tree that was falling, it had fallen over, but it was still growing. It wasn't dead. And from the side of the creek, you could see the, the, uh, the roots sort of coming out of the creek, like just trying to get to that water. And those roots that needed that living water that only Christ supplies. And it made me think of this verse that, you know, being a tree like that Bradford pear that we talked about this morning, you know, we can only have those deep roots established if we keep ourselves in the Word of God and devote ourselves to not be led astray with every wind of doctrine and new fad and hype that comes up in this world, but that we teach our children diligently about God and we do it consistently over and over. And just like in verse 2, that we meditate day and night on God's law. So if we do that, we'll be like that tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in a season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We know that the ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. You know, it always seems like the ungodly don't get punished. You know, it seems unfair to us. And we think about all the things that go on in this world, and it just seems like there's just no justice. We need to be careful in thinking that because we don't know what's going on in the hearts of man. We don't know what God's doing in his time. We don't know what lessons God is teaching us in the midst of our dealing with ungodly people or unjust people. But here's what we know without a shadow of a doubt, that the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in the judgment. 
It's just like if we were reading the book of Revelation today, like John was stranded or exiled on the Isle of Patmos. You know, when he wrote that under the divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he was writing that to a people who were hurting and who needed to hear the final story. And it was revealed to him that Christ wins in all things, that Christ wins. And we are show, told here, we are assured here in verse 5, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Why is that? Well, verse 6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So this is a very short psalm today for us to consider. It's very, it's very impactful, and it's, there's only six verses. You could easily memorize this and recite it to yourself throughout the day, which is a very good exercise. Um, memorizing Scripture is always a way that we could help us meditate on God's Word day and night when we just have that Scripture hidden. It doesn't have to be that you memorize you know, an entire, in the book of James, which is you know, a big undertaking. It could just be one verse. So for, for me, that's been a challenge this year, is to just immerse myself in God's law day and night, to memorize, keep in my pocket an index card with one verse on it, or try to memorize the six verses of Psalm 1, and just remember those and recite them all throughout the day. When I find myself being tempted, when I find myself becoming impatient, or I'm not joyful, just like Paul wrote to the Colossians that he prayed earnestly that we would have that joy that's found only in Christ, you know, we've been told specifically in order to be blessed, all we need to do is meditate on God's Word. If we, and, and the Bible is a great mirror, a diagnostic tool. You wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, the mirror doesn't lie. You look at, you look at yourself and you're like, wow, really? This is what I look like today? It doesn't lie. The Bible doesn't lie. When we want to diagnose why we feel a certain way, we need to turn to Scripture, meditate on God's Word, day and night, and it'll be revealed to us what it, where our errors are. You know, if there's anything wrong, it's our error and not Scripture. We know that God is perfect and infallible. And so, what I think we need to take away from this today is that we have to watch that progression of sin, which is so easily can go from walking to standing to sitting. And you wind up doing things you never even question. You know, why am I doing this? Why do I watch these TV shows? Or why do I hang around these people? Or why do I get involved in this talk around the water cooler at work? Or why do I get involved in, on Facebook in this angry rant with these people that I don't even know? Why am I doing this? Maybe it's because we spent too much time not meditating on God's Word, but walking and standing and sitting among the ungodly. So my prayer is for all of us to take the words of Psalm 1 and that we meditate on God's law day and night. And if we do, we will be planted like trees deeply rooted by the rivers of water, and we will be blessed. Amen.